This episode of the Explominate Podcast is brought to you by Remnants of the Precursors. Remnants of the Precursors is a large-scale Space Forex game that allow you to play on massive maps with dozens of AI opponents without getting bogged down in all that micromanagement. It also features amazing artwork that you'll find nowhere else. A feature-complete beta will be available free on April 12th, which is Easter, so you should check it out at remnantsoftheprecursors.com or you can search ROTP on Reddit. Welcome to the Four Exchange Show. I am your host, Rob, and today I'm joined by Ben. Hey, man. And the one and only Drexy. Welcome, Drexy. Hey, how's it going? It's going well, sir. Let's jump into the news. Let's start off with uh, Stellaris Federations came out this week. I think it's people have been waiting for, really, because for a long time, Stellaris has been a bit in a funny place. And um, yeah, so Federations came out and um, I've played a little bit of it so far. Um, not too much, but at the moment, the only thing that's really exciting... Okay, I'm on my second play because the first game I played it was like Ugh, is this really that much different so I started a new game and I started looking more into the um, origins so I decided to play the origins where you start on uh, the orbital habitats and I'm actually having a little bit of fun <laughs> it's actually quite a cool start it does add you know a new good way of uh, making the start of the game different than normally um haven't got too deep into all the federations of and the Galactic Council, I think. Um, yeah, there's interesting stuff, but yeah, I need more time with it really to give a definitive thing. But so far, I'm sort of on the fence, I'd say. If it's a little bit of fun, then that's a little bit of fun more than it was. <laughs> right. <laughs> I haven't got to the mid-game mid, mid game yet, so I still don't know whether that is changed. So th- that is really the what the game needs and whether this expansion actually fixes that yet. I, I need more time to tell myself. How about you? Uh, I've played it a little. I haven't really got to the Federation's content yet because I, I've not really played Stellaris very much recently. So it's been taking me a little bit of time to uh, to get back into how the, the new economy works and all that kind of stuff. But I've been enjoying it. I, I like the new economy that they've put in, in over the last few updates. Uh, I think it, it makes the... It makes the early middle game a bit more interesting. And, and the AI actually is quite aggressive now. And I've only got it on the standard AI setting, but uh, I had like quite an aggressive neighbor just attack me really early on, which which was exciting for me. And I li- I only just fought off it. It had overwhelming force as well. And I got him at a choke point. And I, I yeah, I'm enjoying it, actually. And this, this is coming from a person who really disliked Stellaris for about a year and a half maybe two years. So it's got, it's, it's hopefully past a milestone, but we'll see. I think other people that I've spoken to also say that they think it's better now. So this is good news for Stellaris as far as I'm concerned, but you know, let's see what, let's see what happens. It needs more play testing. I think. One thing I would say is I just wish they would do some sort of automation for the pops because you're still getting a problem where uh, you get unemployment on a planet and, it's fine when, you know, I've only got three space habitats, but in previous games, if you end up with a lot of planets and you're just constantly moving pops around because unemployment. And I wish it would just, I don't know, do that for you, really. Yeah, sure. 
Yeah, and so to our audience, I want to know, let you know that we unfortunately had a review that was up. We had to take it down due to plagiarism, which is awesome to tell you about. We apologize a lot, and we have done everything. I have done everything I can to make sure that it won't happen again. Our review will come back. We'll have one that's probably even better eventually, but I do apologize that our release day review has been taken down, and we will get that fixed, so... Thank you for everyone who's sort of stuck with us through that. Next up, we have Imperium's Greek Wars, which is looking for beta testers. You might know the developer because they developed Aggressors, Ancient Rome, right? I believe that was the full name. That's the one, yeah. Right. And for some reason, I never was able to get into it, but I know that a lot of people who played it and could look past the graphics were very, I don't know, impressed by the gameplay itself and said that there were a lot of, it was a lot of depth to that game that, that, kind of, you know, was beneath the surface that most people wouldn't have known about if they hadn't been able to get through those graphics. And that was me. So unfortunately, I never really (laughs) got to see all that. But we're looking for beta testers. I'm not. They are. So if you know anyone who wants to be a part of that, has maybe had some aggressors experience, or if you just want to go ahead and see what it's all about, inquire within. There's going to be the link in the notes. So check it out. Okay, and next uh, we explored, we took a look at God King, Master of the Rituals. It's a game that appears to take some influence from both Master of Magic and Dominions. And it's and Rob thinks it's pretty promising. Yeah, I thought it was actually a lot of fun. I fired it up and streamed it for about an hour even and was pleasantly surprised. So if you haven't what, what seen it... What do you it, think then? Well, you know, so what it is really is that it's very... It's, it, there's some... I don't know, there's like some magic to a basic level of simplicity that some of that gets layered on with some depth in some of the game systems. And the game itself is pretty simple to figure out and understand. But, you know, when you start to look at how you manage your armies and stuff like that, and how you develop your armies, and you're basically building your armies to figure out which line they're going to be on, how that's going to set up, how their speed is going to interact with other armies and stuff like that. And there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of thought to that, and I, I really appreciate it. But the regular game, the rest of the game, is pretty simple. So, you know, it, it's something that I think people want to look at and keep an eye on, for sure. Yeah, it looks really interesting. Next up, we have Thea 2, The Shattering, which received bat- or, or, sorry, build 0657. Add a bunch of new things and fixes. I don't know too much about Thea 2. Unfortunately, I haven't played it. And I know that some of the older staff from Explominate really enjoyed it. So I feel like it's a game that I've more than once said that I need to play more, but they're continuing to add updates to it, free updates. And in this case, there was a lot of new content. So if you are a Thea 2, the Shattering player, you should check it out if you haven't already. And next up, we have Amplitude Studios, which showed off its humankind's territory claiming system in a new video. We got to see how it is, how it works. It basically is just having one of your units coming in there and starting off with an outpost, and then that outpost can become something further, become a city, or you can actually combine that particular territory with an existing city. So you can have like this mega city where it's, you know, it consumes like four or five, 10 territories, or you can take those outposts and make them their own cities. So you can have like 42 cities if you want. So it really is pretty cool in that you can build tall or build wide based on how you want to play. And I think it's a pretty interesting and and promising system. So very much excited for Humankind. Even more excited to start talking about it once we can. But we're still expecting it to be released in 2020. So we shouldn't have much longer to wait. 
Have we any idea when it's coming out, roughly? I'm going to guess fall or maybe even holiday yeah. season because that would be a good time. You know, that's a good time for any video game. And I believe that with its, I mean, Sega's full marketing is behind it. So I believe that they're going to try to push it for a fall or winter release date. And, you know, that's a good time because of the holidays and stuff. And it also give them enough time to, you know, make it as polished as possible. So we'll hope to see it then. I, I think we will. What do you think the effect of the coronavirus would have on games coming out? Because I know France is in lockdown, I believe. They are. And I think that it could affect it. I really do. Because I don't know. I don't know when in 2020 they were planning to release it. But I believe if they were planning for a late 2020 release date, that any sort of delay will push that back into 2021. I know that they're already talking about pushing the next generation systems like PS5 and Xbox Series X or whatever it's called to 2021 as well. So I have a feeling that coronavirus is going to affect quite a bit, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, out of all the industries that are around, I think the tech industry is one where people do do work from home more. So I think they're perhaps maybe a little bit more prepared for that kind of thing. But still, you know, most countries are kind of telling people that if your job's not essential, you need to stay home now. So yeah, we'll, we'll see. Let's hope it doesn't mess things up too much. <laughs> Um, next, we've got uh, Dominions has had a big update. They have these period periodic updates where they add new factions, and this is no exception. So the uh, the Nordic giant nations have been updated, and they've added a new nation for the late age called uh, Vetiheim or Vetiheim. Vetiheim is a nation of mostly small goblin, goblins called Vetir, but there are also a few giants in there. Um, they've also added some improvements, balance tweaks. There's some new spells. Uh, some new pretender gods, the usual stuff that they add every time they do one of these updates. But I had a quick look at it before we, we jumped onto the podcast, and the new the new faction looks awesome. It looks really, really cool. And you know what? Every time that Dominions adds something new, or Illwinter adds something new to Dominions recently, they really shake things up, because the last update where they added Nabar, and um, I can't remember the name of the other one, but those, were, those two factions were so different from the others, and they were just really interesting. So, yeah, I'm, I've not played Dominions for a little while. I was in a I was in a multiplayer game with with General Confusion and a few of those guys um, and Jack Law, and I got my ass kicked. <laughs> I got my ass kicked so hard um, that I I just I, I didn't even really get my game going. So um, I, I've it kind of like it, it put the fear fear of God into me with regards to Dominion. So I need to get back into that and practice it a little bit. But yeah, this 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 new update looks really fun. I look forward to hearing more about it. Yeah, and we're gonna take a quick break for a quick commercial which is weird, and I still feel weird saying that. And then after that, we're going to try something new with the Forex Exchange show. We're going to talk about which mechanics would actually make the best Forex game. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Welcome back. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to kind of like play play uh, like Frankenstein here a little bit, right? So we're going to make our own Frankenstein monster of a 4X game. And we're going to take... Yeah, with Frankenstein's 4X. There you go. I like it. And we're going to take what we can with all the mechanics that we know of, all the games out there who have done something particularly well. And I want to kind of like, I, I want to make what I think would be the best like terrestrial 4X and then maybe take the best of space games and make like the base, the best space 4X too. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think <laughs> I think there's already the best 4X game out there. Oh, okay. Well, let's hear it. <laughs> Sid Meier's Starship. I mean, oh, right. Yes, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that, that classic, the, uh, <laughs> that classic that everyone loves so much. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's why Sid Meier's known so well. <laughs> One day, everyone's going to be on board with me when I say Sid Meier's Starship is the best 4X ever. Yeah, it's going to happen. Up there with Master of Orion 3. For sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, there's some, something to be said about the combat from that game. I really didn't mind the Starship's... Or what is it? Starships? Is that what it's called? Yeah, Starships Combat. It was pretty good. Is that the one that uh, the that you were able to kind of plug into um, Civilization Beyond Earth? Is that, am I am I right in thinking that, or am I barking up the wrong tree there? It, I've, I've got to make a confession. I've never actually played it. <laughs> I've not played it either. <laughs> That's awesome. I don't okay, know. We're off to a good start. Aren't <laughs> <you're> we? <laughs> to, well, it's not. I don't think it's 4x. It's mostly like a board game. I, I did play it. It was. It was. There was some tie-in to Beyond Earth, and it, I don't remember what the tie-in was because I hardly played the game. But it was. You know, it, it, there was some things. There were redeeming factors. Of note, the combat was redeeming. But I think it's funny that Drexy's never played it, considering that as far back as we had the 4X podcast for the 4X Gaming uh, subreddit, he's been saying Sid Meier Starships was the best game ever. So for years <laughs> now, he's been saying this, and he's never even fired it up. <laughs> oh, so <God>. disingenuous. <laughs> yeah, jeez. Well, so what You're I want to do is... Sid name, man. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? So what I want to do now is I want to take some, some of the gameplay mechanics that we all can maybe agree on were at least decent, and then start to figure out what we would do to make the best 4X game. So with that with that being said, we have to talk about the 4Xs, right? So first being explore. What kind of exploration mechanics did you guys have you guys enjoyed in the past? Hmm. You go first, Drexy. <laughs> I think not so much now, but when I first started playing Stararis, I actually enjoyed that. And still do, you know. Because they do add in a lot of um story events and first time you see a lot of them it's like oh pretty cool but of course once you've played hundreds and hundreds of hours then it gets a bit repetitive but yeah early on that's um yeah pretty cool yeah i second that i i, I still quite like the exploration side of stellaris as well um the the uh the, the fact is that that fluff it always just boils down to some some number that you're getting you know whether it's energy credits or some some boost your research but the fact that they, but they're not just kind of one-off, choose-your-own-adventure kind of stories. They 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 do actually develop, and you know you can continue researching stuff. And there are these little kind of plots that kind of weave through the game, so it kind of ties things in, ties things together nicely. I do like that. Yeah, I mean, there's like basically quest lines where you got a chance of something great happening or something absolutely disastrous happening. But I think the main thing I find with that is better than just you know the old Civ version 
the old uh, like Civ games or whatever, where you just move in a hex, a couple hexes each turn, just to get rid of that fog of war. I find that boring. Uh, on the contrary, right? I find I think I find that you know the the scouts moving across in Civ on those kind of Civ games where you're unveiling this kind of landscape. I find that a bit more interesting than just moving from one node to the next in Solaris. That's the only thing, you know that. Aside from perhaps finding, oh, there's a black hole here or something, you know, the the, the actual things that you, the actual landscape you're uncovering is just okay. Well, now this this place has got two exits or three exits, you know. Whereas in in Civ, it's kind of like, ah, oh, there's iron. I need iron. Do you see what I mean? There's. I didn't really find. I don't really yeah, kind of get, get so excited about Stellaris when I think the story events from Stellaris are great. If we were talking about a terrestrial forex, and I mean, aside from Civ, what is there really? I mean, I, uh, I quite like the way that the scouts work in that, but I wish that they moved quicker. Because <laughs> one, so one of the greatest games ever, Endless Legend. I mean, if you're talking about terrestrial scouting, but I, before I even do that, I want to come back and I want to answer the question from the space point of view, which I believe I like. I like distant worlds the way it sort of gates exploration, because like if you yeah. play from the what is it, like the non pre the pre warp right the pre warp start where yeah. you're only exploring your own solar system at first and you're figuring out what kind of stuff you have there and what resources you have there. And then the best stuff. Yeah. And then you slowly but surely make your way to this like very rudimentary warp capability and you start, you know, expanding out a little bit and seeing what's around you. And it takes you forever to get there, but you're still doing it. And then a little by little you're you're gaining faster warp and you're gaining a bigger radius and you know, next thing you know, you're you're able to explore the entire galaxy. But I really like that it's it starts it off slowly. Like you just build up from you know, okay, cool, I'm looking at my solar system, and then okay, cool, I'm looking at systems nearby, and then okay, cool, I'm looking at systems even further out, and then it just becomes this like open this whole open universe that you can explore. So I yeah. really appreciate appreciate that a lot. Uh, what that does really is yeah, it gives you a really good sense of scale. It's like because you're starting off with just in your solar system and it still takes a while to, you know, go around, scan all the planets um, and find stuff. And then suddenly you get, your like you were saying, your rudimentary FTL systems and you can only go a certain distance. So, yeah, it just adds to that sense of scale in the game, which, yeah, I agree, is really good. Uh, yeah, right. It really feels like it's an achievement when you first, when you first get that first technology is it warp bubble drive. And it's kind of... It's kind of a crap drive. It takes ages to get anywhere, but it's especially if you play it on the kind of the longer where the technologies take longer to to actually develop. So it can be you can be playing for a couple of hours before you actually, or maybe an hour or so before you actually get out of your solar system. Um, so when you first make that jump, it's really really cool. And then you know you're getting your next drives, which enable you to go even further and faster. Um, the only thing I'd say about the exploration in in distant worlds is it's kind of tempting to do it uh, on the autopilot, right? So, but it, it's still no less fun. I mean, I mean, especially if you do it manually, some of the the stuff that you will find it doesn't suffer from that thing that I was saying about Solaris, where it's kind of not that exciting, you know, as you you jump from node to node. In distant worlds, you really are finding some cool stuff because, for a start. You might, you know, you might bump into some crazy pirates or something right really early on, and you realize, ah, okay, I've got this pirate base right on my doorstep that I've got to deal with now, you know. Um, or you might find some uh, some luxury resource that you know is going to be able to really push the push the production of your planet, you know, the the development rate. It's just, yeah, distant worlds is great, man. Yeah, and I'd also say that like it's it's so it's so much fun when you 
bump into like a derelict ship and you can, you know, have like a battleship, like from the very beginning, you know, like that, that's so much fun because then, you know, you're signing off to making, making sure you can repair this thing. And, and, you know, next thing you know, you're capable, you're very capable of making war because you found this, this very rare derelict ship and ship. I would love to see the combination of distant worlds and Stellaris, you know, if there was some story elements and, you know, if you're, finally able to make it to another system and you know you get some sort of cool log about how wild it is that you finally have you know created this warp drive and you're in another system you know how cool would that be to see like story elements like that where you're like wow you know i've i've just created the i've just made the very first warp jump for the human race and i'm in an entirely new system you know and and you start to see that kind of stellaris storytelling but in the distant world setting yeah i think that'd be cool It'd have to be the thing. What's great about Distant Worlds is because it's quite sandboxy. I think it would have to. There'd, there'd have to be so kind of kind of short and not so. I, I didn't think that the story stuff in Distant Worlds, at least the stuff that I played, it it wasn't quite as engaging as some of the you know the little plots that go on in Stellaris. But they were a little bit more game changing, I guess. Um, I mean, Distant Worlds has got like we, we're talking about this great perfect forex game right distant worlds we could come back to this in expand and exploit because it's got some really interesting mechanics that you know that that fit into those other things so yeah yeah we should definitely come back to distant worlds one (laughs) (laughs) i have a feeling it'll be a reference point for sure but is if as far as terrestrial forex goes i i would say endless legend for me and i know endless legend is kind of polarizing in a lot of ways but i do think that something i really appreciate about the way endless legends maps work is that the all the all the things that you're looking for like all the different resources and the the way that some of the map tiles created bonuses and stuff were all visual so like as you explored the map you would you know occasionally run into a a region i think they were called yeah region where you'd see like really cool map features that you knew were going to be a great place to colonize right like if you were the the broken lords and you may have found a a map feature and I don't remember which one it is right now, but like there are some map features that have like this huge but uh, bonus to dust and being the broken Lords and being so like dust hungry, it would be really cool to see that you'd be like, yes, awesome. That's going to be where my next city goes. And, you know, for me, I thought endless legend did a great job of that because I think that, you know, once you became more and more familiar with the game, you would, you were, you were, you knew which map features you were looking for and they were well represented and they were all very unique and to me, and, and also like just the way the map looked with that like cool sort of like 2D, 2.5D look, uh, I think that was really, really cool. Yeah, I, I like how it looks, man. Yeah, so with end, what I like with uh, Ender's Legends um, quest system as well, it kind of encourages you to explore because you want to get these quests done, right? So I think that system as well is quite good. What do you guys think of that? That sounds, uh, yeah, and actually that kind of reminded me of another game that's similar in this is uh, Fallen Enchantress is also another good game for where you, it's the same thing, you're kind of driven to explore because you want to level up your characters and, um, you know, there's the actual, there's quite a lot of fun quests to do in, um, in Fallen Enchantress and you really feel like you're up against the wilderness in that game. You know, you're not just you're not just necessarily fighting against a, a, an AI opponent or a set of AI opponents. You're actually uh, you, you're up against the wilderness, and you're up against these beasts that are wandering around. And it's uh, you know that you can get some really great goodies from from hunting them down and completing the quests a little bit more so than just kind of you know 
Civ settler walks into into barbarian or, or into goody hut, then meets barbarian kind of thing. You know, I thought you, I thought you were going to say that Civ settler walks into a bar. It's <laughs> like, what joke is this? <laughs> but no, yeah, <laughs> you're not I allowed to it. tell those kind of jokes anymore, man. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I'll also say as a quick shout out to a more recent game, I really appreciated Interstellar Space Genesis's new Genesis's um, new remote exploration mechanic, where you were setting up basically like you know you were uh, setting up remote exploration every few turns, and then as you explored those sectors, more and more of that sector was revealed. I thought that was a pretty cool way of doing things too, because it was like basically you were like setting your your satellites or whatever out in that area and then as you would continue to set your satellites or whatever into that direction you know sometimes you were discovering planets you didn't even know were there before or discovering resources that you didn't know were there before i thought that was a pretty cool new mechanic and a new twist on the mass orion 2 formula yeah because um with that game it's not like you just scan a sector of space and you're done scanning You've got to sort of make the decision: Do I scan a different area, or do I? Because you can scan that the same area like multiple times, and sometimes sometimes you might find the deeper scan you do, the more you might find. But you've got a risk you might not find something, and then you've got a whole bunch of space you haven't explored because you spent uh, so much time uh, scanning that one bit of space. So it's again gives you another gameplay decision you need to make to advance and there's sort of a risk and reward thing with that yeah it took me a little while to get into that into that system with interstellar space genesis the first couple of times i played that game through and it was not long after release i kind i don't know if it was just that i was playing the game a little bit too quickly and you know kind of trying to rush through it to see everything but i felt like the i remember thinking to myself i like the idea of this space scanning thing but now it's just just some extra thing that I've got to do every turn. and But actually, the last time, I, since they've updated it kind of recently, I played it through again, and I was playing a little bit more carefully. And I, exactly what you've just said, Drexy, it gives you some extra choices, and especially if you're under attack or you're, you know, you're, you're at that position of the game, the expand phase where you really need to start looking for your next conquest because you're you're going to run out of places to go. It does add some interesting choices because, you know, it's like, okay, I've taken this sector now. Do I need to, can I, do I want to look to see if there's any, you know, are those special resources here now? Because you usually have to deep scan for those, don't you? Or you have to build that really expensive ship that does it. Or am I going to try and keep tabs on my, my, where my opponents are? Yeah. Um, that also, that does work really well. ISG's got some interesting stuff in there, man. Yeah. Speaking of ex- expansion, I want to talk about the expansion mechanic now. So I think we've done a really good job of, of highlighting some very good exploration mechanics and any of those would be great to kind of even I mean you could take all of those and combine them really and it would it'd make a fantastic game but if you go into expansion i i'm i'm firmly in the category or firmly in the the side of liking region systems because i i i don't like when things become like a city spam issue so like for me like when you get into like civilization 6 or civ 5 less so with civilization 6 because they've done some of the uh some of the mechanics recently were if you're getting too close to one another, it becomes an issue and you can actually, you know, influence other planet or other cities to take over and, and become yours and stuff like that. And also you need water and stuff like that with Civ six, but you know, any of those systems where you can just spam the hell out of cities, I don't really like. So with terrestrial games, I really like the region systems that like endless legend and 
now Age of Wonders Planetfall has incorporated because I feel like it keeps things spread out, it keeps things separated, and also there's that choice again where we talked about choice a lot and the decision making where you're you know you're looking at regions and like you know you're trying to find like the perfect region for each of your new cities and stuff. So for me, expansion like especially terrestrially wise, terrestrially, I guess let's make let's make that a word right now, but terrestrially. If it's a game where you're playing like that, I really like the region system. So when you're talking about regions, we're talking, um, you're not talking about the, the area that you're bounding off because you've you've basically spammed out a load of cities, you know, like Civ 3 or something where it was just about pushing out as many cities as you could. We're talking about like a Endless Legend or, uh, yeah, Planetfall. Um, what, have you actually played the new version of Planetfall yet, Rob? I wanted to ask you this because... I found that the the way that they're um, displaying the information in on the on the on the resource map now is a lot clearer, and it it makes this kind of region system a lot better to kind of well it just kind of works a little bit better, especially now also they've changed it so that you can you, you can immediately uh, exploit some of these these bonuses that you're getting rather than having to uh, go through the go through the tech tree to unlock some of them. How, how have you actually tried it yet? How, how are you finding that? I'm interested to know. Yeah, I have. I, I really, yes, I, I'm with you there. I think the the new information that's dis- displayed there has made it a lot easier for you to determine where you want to expand and what it is that you're getting from each of those regions. And I love that. That's something I actually like about Age of Wonders Planetfall 2 and that, you know, you have various like uh, unique sites that, you know, create boons to whatever, you know, resource that you're looking for. But, you know, there again, that's something that I really like because you're you know, not only are you looking at some of these regions as possible colony sites, but you're also looking at them as expansion sites, right? Like you want to expand your, your territory. And, you know, as you're looking through those regions and looking at their bonuses and all the stuff that they, they give you, you're making that decision, right? You're making that decision, whether or not it's going to be an expansion to an existing city or, Hey, maybe I, I, I finally make the move to my second, third, fourth, fifth city. Yeah. Cause, but, because the way I look at it is this, you know, when you have like the more sort of tile-based games, like the early Civ games, etc., and Master of Magic and that kind of thing, you're 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 generally looking for specific tiles that you want to exploit, right? Whereas now, you're kind of zooming the resolution, you you you're lowering the resolution and zooming out a little bit, so you're actually looking at entire regions because they're it's the region itself, you know, that is made up of many tiles, but it, they're 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 tactically important, but they're not important with regards to the you know the exploit sort of phase. So it kind of makes the game a little bit easier to easier to digest, but also I guess it must open up the tactical possibilities to some extent because rather than just being like, okay, here's a tile with iron and around it there's, I don't know, there's some mountains which might be easy to defend or whatever, you've, you, uh, you actually have like a set of, you have a set of actual game-changing uh, resources specifically that are attached to that region so the regions and you know these regions themselves become they become kind of pivotal for what you're trying to do in your game yeah absolutely and another version of this and i think it's a game it's another way of gatekeeping in a way how you expand is fallen enchanters so like the fallen enchanters legendary heroes and elemental and even sorcerer king you can only colonize in spots where you'll find food which you know that makes sense i mean you, you don't want to colonize, a, you don't want to make a giant city where you can't find food. So that that way of gatekeeping, the the way you expand as well, I think is smart. And I think it makes sense. And also, again, it keeps city spam down to a point. And it also 
it, you know, so there's an issue with me and I know that Nate would be here screaming at the microphone saying that, um, you know, when they forward settle when your AI or AI opponents forward settle or when you even forward settle, it's annoying, right? And you can't forward settle on a game like that because you have to find food and there's only like they're evenly patched or maybe not even evenly, but they're not ever going to be terribly close to one another. So I, I really like that about Fallen Enchantress and Sorcerer King. Sorry, Rob, what do you mean by forward settle? When, so, you know, like, especially in a game like Civilization V or a game where there isn't sort of gatekeeping, you'll see AI opponents take their settlers and put them and, and settle a city really close to your border or even like almost within your border, right? And then it becomes like an issue, right? So like, um, I'm trying to think of a game. Yeah. yeah, like, let's say like... I. I've been playing Star Drive 1 recently, so right now in Star Drive 1, and I think it's just a game mechanic, and it's always going to be a game mechanic, but you can be, you can have a call or a, a system that you've almost completely colonized, but there might be one colonizable system that you haven't, you know, you haven't colonized yet, and the AI opponent will go and colonize that one planet. So like you're like, and you might be on good terms with them, so forevermore they will have this one planet inside your system that is, you know, now colored ever so slightly differently because, you know, they're in there. So that forward settling really annoys me. That, that happens to me sometimes in, you know, stars in shadow. Um, so you'll, you, let's say that you've got a large, powerful empire on the on your borders and you make friends with them because in stars in shadow, it's really, really important to make alliances, right? Because um, I don't know if it's quite so bad now, but there was a, a tendency for the AI to dogpile you. So you really needed to kind of to get some friends. But one of the downsides of that is that the moment you become, if you've got any planets in, within your borders that you've not colonized, your ally is going to, oh, I don't want to swear on, on, a, on a podcast yet, but there's a <laughs> word that I use to describe these these people <laughs> they sneak a colony ship in and and they and they send you an alliance and you're like oh I'll, I'll definitely be your friend yeah that'll be great and then the next thing you know they've taken that mineral rich planet that you've been literally just got a colony ship about to hit and they take it from you ah yeah you get the same thing in stellaris as well because <clears throat> you basically want to try and get certain choke points before <laughs> the other empires do so you're always sort of pushing towards getting that choke point and yeah you end up fighting over it with someone and they sneak sneak it out from you you know like i also find that with you know even something like the original master of orion you've got your colony ship just going towards a a planet and then you get there and it's taken (laughs) and you can you can just see the ai like wiping its ass on your screen (laughs) it's just like ah i got there first man what are you gonna do about it (laughs) yeah i had that in my stellaris game the other day um we basically both had our science ships in the same system, <laughs> and and uh, um, yeah, I was I was trying to get there before uh, get my construction ship there before his, and he got his there there first. I was like, ah, how dare you! <laughs> yeah, I mean, so like that, that's what I like about gatekeeping that in any way. It doesn't mean like even if it's the like in a space game that system becomes yours because you've got a claim to it, you know, like. And I, I've always wanted this. I've really wanted a space game to like. If, if it is like Stellar, or not actually Stellaris is fine. I think it works well on Stellaris. But like in Stars and Shadow, right, where you have taken the majority of a system, and then they take that one planet. Like I feel like in any, re- I mean, I'm not saying we need to be realistic, but like in any realistic terms, you would 
you would want you would think that that would be yours, right? Like that would that's part of my system. Don't go colonizing it, <laughs> you know. And that so I, I do like gatekeeping in a lot of ways. Stars in in Seattle does have a mechanic in there though. So let's say that uh, the you've got ships on a system and you're claiming the system so this is not a mechanic where you're claiming it you you have literally just got ships orbiting that that planet and they turn up with a colony ship they it will initiate this diplomatic event where it says you basically say to them no mate that's mine and they're like oh really and you're like no that is and it gives you an option it's like do you want to let them settle do you want to i think it's something like do you want to help them you know help them settle the planet or do you want to uh, interdict it and um, it causes a huge huge diplomatic problem if you if you say no no mate that's mine jog on they uh, they they it will cause a real big problem and i've actually i've actually lost games of shot stars and shadow from that because it's such a big uh, it's such a big penalty to your diplomatic thing so it that does handle it quite well in that respect i think um but not all games do that and particularly the older ones it's just that whole situation where you're like oh damn you <laughs> you got there first i'm trying to think i think it was early in stellaris i'm not sure but there was a game where you could build a, like a, a propaganda office and broadcast into um someone else on someone else's border and take space from them was that early on in Stellaris? You can do that in Galactic Civilizations 3. You can use your influence. Oh, that's of... what I was thinking of. Yeah. yeah maybe it was that. And then you yeah, you... culture flipping. Exactly. Culture flipping. And so I, I do appreciate those mechanics too, because it, it does prevent people from, you know, colonizing planets deep in your own territory and stuff. I think Galactic Civilizations 3 is actually, it's frustrating for me. That's a game that I would, I should have used as, as an example before, but like there are, almost every time you start a game of Galactic Civilizations 3, in fact, I know that there's a like crappy-ass system or a crappy-ass planet in that system, right? That you're meant to colonize eventually, but maybe not right off the bat. And sometimes I forget about it. And then, of course, like, you know, another AI unit will come in and, and colonize that crappy-ass system. And then I'm like, why? <laughs> like, my culture is overwhelming. And, of course, eventually it'll flip it. But it, that kind of behavior really annoys me. Yeah, there's uh, there's also in Galsiv three now um, with with retribution. You know how you've got these artifact planet uh, these artifacts on the planets. There's this one of them allows you to push out a huge amount of culture. So what you can do is a kind of a sneaky tactic. You can take one of those crappy planets right next to the enemy's enemy's border, and then you can you can hit this this um, crazy culture flip weapon basically and it pushes out so much culture that it will flip all the planets around it that's really cool galsiv 3's got some cool stuff in it like that yeah absolutely i agree so let's move on to exploit which i think you mentioned before that you had some examples from distant worlds you want to talk about yeah i guess the um just the whole the way that the uh, autonomous civilian economy works in in uh, distant worlds is something that people could look at because you know, I mean, it isn't perfect, and the the way that the AI plays it, it doesn't really defend it very well. So it can be, it you know, it it can be sort of easy to exploit. But it was a step in the right direction, right? And it and it's one of those things that that people who talk about space four four X will often point to and say, hey, look, this is good. Why don't more games have this, you know, the civilian economy kind of idea? Because it takes a lot of. I, th- I don't think a lot of games really have; they don't really have the mechanics to kind of support it necessarily. Whereas Distant Worlds has got all these, you know, all these uh, kind of game mechanics around it that, that work around it. But still, I think it's something that we could look at for our perfect forex game. What do you reckon? 
I'd agree, but you know, it's it's weird though because I feel like when it comes to economy and exploitation, when you talk about like the civilian sector automating that, it only really makes sense for real time games because like for for like the, the majority of turn based games, it doesn't really matter, right? So like the that stuff is sort of just done in the background, and I would like to see civilian units on like let's say let's pull civilian or civilization six out for a second right how cool would it be to have even even though it's turn-based that you have like these units that you have no control over because they're civilian and they're you know your your economic sector your economic civilian sector you know moving between your cities or moving between your city and other cities you know doing their thing you know maybe in the beginning it's caravans and then uh, later on it becomes you know actual you know, flights and stuff like that and global economy and stuff like that, where you're starting to see units that you have no control over, but are, you know, maybe corporations that are picking up and, and, you know, you have like Amazon in your, your civilization game or, you know, your FedEx Kinkos and stuff like that popping up and you're starting to see all these units that you have no control over, but, you know, are very much a part of the game and very much playing a role. Yeah. I think that'd be cool as providing you, you could inter, you know, you can kind of interact with them in some way. Like, I, it wasn't that long ago I was reading an interview with Soren Johnson, and he was talking about Civ Four, and he was asked what he would change about it if he could, you know, with hindsight. And he said, I think one of the things he pointed out was he was like, oh, you know how the the, the workers, the worker spam became a bit of a chore, and we did consider making it automatic. And then there's the, you know, there's always the question, well, if it is automatic, what's the point in it being in there? And I, so I guess if you're going to have, yeah, I like the idea. Providing that those that those automatic units in a turn-based game, you, there is some way of interacting with them, or you know, to uh, that they represented something in some way that you could that you could base gameplay decisions around. Yeah, absolutely. So if you mean like you're you made choices at the government level that either you know made them stronger, maybe if you were more capitalist, you're economy might get out of control and maybe even take over. <laughs> like, right. If, if you become a, a very capitalist society, then, you know, maybe you, you as a, as a, you know, leader of your, the Germans will say, let's, let's throw one out. I mean, Americans easy, but let's say you're playing Germany and you're, you're a capitalist society and you're allowing econo- the economy to like kind of do its own thing and become whatever. Then there's like a, there's a point at which you either, you might even give up too much power to them. Right. And maybe they start making the calls. <laughs> maybe they start taking up arms against you. Stuff like that would be really cool. Well, yeah, like some sort of East India company that you could set up, um, you know, and then it might kind of get out of control. But even if we we're to, even just talking on a on a sort of more simplistic level, that you could you could raid these kind of like trade lines. I know there are some of the games have kind of tried to do stuff like that. I suppose like in Galsiv Three, you've got those ships where uh, the trade ships that you send out to the to the factions, and then they you know you directly control them up to the point where they they link up with the other with the other uh, civilization and then at that point it becomes this abstracted thing that just becomes like a you know a number but uh, i think in previous versions you, you you used to be able to sit ships on their trade lines and raid them but i'm not sure if you could still do that but yeah that kind of thing man. yeah you took the words out of my mouth actually because that was gonna be my next example galactic civilizations 3 i think does a really good job with exploitation because there's there's this drive to pick up resources in that game because it's so important to have particular resources. I mean, the, the majority of everything you do in that game is revolves around the four or five you know main resources in that game, and then there's also a lot of 
I think they're, I forgot what the, you know, you have strategic resources and then you have like your luxury resources, but I don't remember exactly what they're called in Galactic Civilizations 3, but they're so important in that game. And I really like the way that they're worked because, you know, like I said, you're, and it drives your early exploration, right? Because like you're out there trying to find these resources before anybody else does. And then you're trying to exploit them before anybody else does too, because they are important to your ability to make badass ships or, you know, late game buildings and stuff like that. So yeah, those two games, I think Distant Worlds for sure. I mean, I love the way that you're collecting all these different resources and you need all of them in, in very, very large quantities to build things and to expand and to make really good ships. And then Galactic Civilizations 3, less in the numbers way, but more so in the like how important they are because there's so few of them. Yeah, another system I want to bring up is, which I'm not even sure could work in a 4X game because we use randomly generated maps. But in EU4, you have the trade nodes and you, you can put uh, envoys in certain trade nodes uh, to control the flow of the trade. Uh, maybe something like that could be brought into Forex. I don't know how, considering, like I said, it's not a static map when you play Forexes, but that's another interesting sort of mechanic, which doesn't take up a lot of your own time. No, that's a really interesting idea because that might be one way that you could that you could kind of push out the you know the, the this civilian economy thing that's going on in in uh, distant worlds maybe I like uh, in EU4 I've not played it a huge amount by the way but I know what you're talking about the way you you can kind of tr- st- you have to steer the trade don't you to different areas um, you know you can put you can place your your traders in certain areas in order to kind of like steer trade from from one place to another in order to kind of get some sort of favor that could be really that that could be an interesting thing, uh, mechanic to put in yeah I'd agree I think so too. And the the other, I mean, I hate to keep doing this. I hate to come, come back to my, my favorite game is endless legend. I, I really appreciated the way it worked too. I mean that you needed particular strategic resources to be able to manufacture certain units, especially towards the mid to late game. You know, you needed these units, you needed these, these resources in order to build a sword that you might've gotten right. Or a particular new weapon or a shield or whatever. And it would be so important, right? So you were always looking for these nodes and you were always... And the problem is too, I think some of it was with Endless Legend was that you didn't always know where those strategic resources were. So I would change that because as you progress through the eras, like these resources, as you like discovered them through your research, would eventually, they would pop up randomly on your map. And sometimes you would have like four or five regions and somehow that one strategic resource wasn't even in any of those. So... That's frustrating. Yeah, that's kind of straight out of Civ, isn't it? Like, you know, you hit a certain tech research and then then something will pop up. Um, so that kind of, inc- because you weren't really sure where iron might appear or copper or whatever, it kind of, I guess copper comes early, but it's something like iron or coal. It, it kind of encourages that playing wide, really, because you want to take as much territory as fast as possible in order to, to maximize your chances. Particularly, I mean, you know, you, you'd have a general idea of where coal would be on the map because of the terrain that it, that it kind of appears with. But yeah, like, I'm not so I'm not, I'm not so familiar with Endless Legends as you, but it seems like it, it perhaps took a, a cue from that one in there. Yeah, and you know, I, as you were talking, it, it made me think that for some reason in my mind, I was considering research trees and research mechanics to be part of exploit but i think it's more of an exploration mechanic so that could have been something we talked about in the explorer type and maybe we maybe we just need to dedicate an episode to each of these (laughs) because i feel like there's a lot we could talk about 
Yeah, this is a huge topic. Is <laughs> um, trying to condense the whole of a, uh, the mechanics of forex into one short podcast is going to be a bit of a mission. For sure. Yeah, and I'm trying to think of more recent. So and and oh yes, that was the thing I was going to say too. Is Age of Wonders Planetfall? I I you know it's only one resource really in in Planetfall that I think that kind of you know it hems people up or it like kind of keeps people from getting too strong is that Cosmite stuff and you know it, that's a more simple way of of making you know like of of creating tension with resources but Cosmite's huge in in Planetfall and there were a lot of times where you know for me I was looking at engaging in extermination which we're going to talk about here in a second um for the simple reason that I needed some of that Cosmite that sweet sweet Cosmite and so I was, you know, I, again, there's, there's a lot of good examples and I'm not sure. I, I really like distant world scale and that, you know, I think that it makes sense to me that you would be mining just an absolute shit ton of these resources and you'd need a lot of them to build these giant ships and build these huge space stations and stuff like that. Um, and I, you know, I, I think that there's a lot to be, to be gleaned from all those games that we've already brought up. So with that being said, let's talk about extermination. You guys have any extermination games that you would pull, or games that do extermination well, I should say, that you would use as an example for our Frankenstein forex? Hmm. I quite like the. I mean, I quite like the simplistic system in Master of Orion One, where um, you know you kind of have you only have six kind of types of ship but you can pump out literally tens of thousands of them. I know this doesn't necessarily, it's not going to translate very well to maybe a Civ game, or well, maybe it would, I don't know, but like the idea that you can, you, you create this design and then, yeah, you just start manufacturing them and tons and tons and tons of them and just sending these waves and waves of ships at, uh, at the enemy planets. I really like that. I think that's really cool. It's so different to anything else as well. <laughs> Go on, Rob. I would agree. I think that... Massive Ryan 1 does a very good job, and I'm going to use two examples actually. Massive Ryan 1 does a very good job of creating the the need for tactics without taking away from the strategy too much, right? So like you, you clearly like a lot of what you do before you get into combat is going to determine the combat outcome in Massive Ryan 1, but it's those like maybe like a half dozen combat scenarios where you're up against, like, let's say you're the Silicoids and you're up against the Darlocks, like, big fleet, right? And you brought your big fleet. A lot of times it's going to be what happened before that that makes, that determines the outcome, right? But sometimes when you guys are really close, when you're neck and neck, there's a little bit of tactics involved, right? Like, you, you want to position your ships just the right way, but it's not so much so that it's sticking away from, you know, you're not you're not engaging in combat for like 42 minutes. And then by the time you get back to the game, you're like, Oh crap, where was I? What was I even doing? I don't remember, you know, they're, they're fast and furious, but there is tactics involved. And I'll also say that about sorcerer King, which I think has some of the best combat out of all of them. And I think that it, it felt, it kind of hit the, the, the perfect combination, the perfect balance between fast and furious and tactics. Right. So you need to, you need to make these things quick. You need to make them, you know, complete quickly or be able to, to, to have their victor, you know, whoever's going to be victorious in that, in that combat needs to 
know very quickly, but you also need to have some sort of tactical input, even if it's just very little, even if it's like, you know, just enough that your mind could change the outcome of this game or the outcome of this combat. I think that's important. And I think Sorcerer King does a very good job of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, um, well, one thing we need to mention is the combat in, in this fic- this uh, imaginary greatest Forex game comes down to whether it's a real-time game or turn-based game because that totally changes the landscape of what combat in this game will be like. Um, I don't know whether it even be possible to make a real-time game that pauses for combat. I can't think of anything that does that. But you do have that in other games, other types of games. Um, but yeah, it's, it's such a... Again, this is another one we could do a whole episode on because you have these uh, two different types of gameplay. Um, yeah, and I'll say that I think for the most part, I, there's a lot of people that consider Sins of a Solar Empire a 4X game. I don't really... I, I think there's some missing elements to it, but I do believe that if you took that kind of combat... And I'd say a lot of people would recognize Sins of a Solar Empire as having a very good combat system where there's there's clearly, you know, again, I, I, I come back to this, but there's decisions made before combat begins that are important. But there's also like active skills and stuff that you could use based on whatever you're building that affect combat and Sins of a Solar Empire too. So like maybe you're building a particular ship type that has like a disabling active ability that works really well at a particular time. And if you're thinking smart and you're making strategic or very tactical decisions um, or smart tactical decisions, then you can do well. So there is a lot there's, you got the real time and turn-based combat to consider when it comes to that. And you even got swords of the stars and swords of the stars too. I mean, there's wow. We could, we, we need to do this. We need to do like an episode per X. Absolutely. This, this is such a deep topic, isn't it? Okay. Okay. So I want to go back to something you were saying, Rob, um, about when we were talking about Master of Orion 1, where the tactical combat on that, in that game is really good because it's, it's quite, sh- quite quick paced. Uh, but the thing is, often the battle is probably going to be decided by the strategic choices you've taken, right? Whereas you're saying with, you know, Sins of a Solar Empire, uh, that also comes into account. Like if you turn up with a fleet that's vastly high technology, you know you've got a good chance of winning. However, a good player will be able to leverage the RTS, um, you know, the, the tactical side of the RTS in a in order to be able to, you know, to to win an overwhelming victory. So that's something to consider in our game as well. It's like, do we want it? Do we want it so that battles are already pretty much won because you've because you've already got you know kind of a significant technological advantage or you know a fleet size advantage or do we want it so that you can pull off these kind of rebel alliance destroying the death star just in the nick of time kind of thing yeah i mean we've got two polar opposites with this you have the endless space and endless space two version which is basically either well endless space one you play the card each round and endless space two predetermines your three phases um or you have something like uh sword of the stars where it's a real time combat and you're in control of your you're fully in control of your feet thus you can sort of play around with distances and stuff like that which is adds a whole new element to like uh, combat as well yeah and you saying that too it makes me think that i actually can appreciate all three types of combat we can talk about right in that being real time strategy turn base and then the kind of combat where you just watch and bump heads combat like civil web where you just run your armies into each other 
Right. Yeah, so like a roguelike sort of thing. Yeah, so there's actually four. So that's great. And it would be that would be something where I'd feel like you wouldn't really be able to determine like there's there's people that are champions for each of those, right? I feel like for me personally, I like turn based tactical combat. I know there are people out there that really like real-time strategy combat. I know that there's a lot of people out there that really like the civilization bumping heads combat. And I do think there's something to be said about combat like Dominions where, you know, the, I mean, overwhelmingly the decisions you make before that combat are going to determine the, uh, the outcome of that one. So, wow. Yeah, there's, <laughs> this one is, as we started to talk about, it, I realized how just deep this particular mechanic is. And, and way more so than probably maybe even more so than any of the other ones but yeah yeah so we could talk about gladius as well because this is i mean if we're talking about exterminate that's the four x that's really really focused on on uh, exterminate that's that's the main x (laughs) in in gladius right and that that game does it really well i think because um the thing about Gladius is you are, it's almost like a, we've talked about this before, but it's almost like a kind of turn-based version of an RTS game where your cities exist primarily just to pump out more units. Um, and they do, you do have to kind of like carefully plant them, you know, so that you're getting the right bonuses and, you know, uh, the right kind of resources. However, you're, you are just really just throwing as many units out as possible. But what's great about Gladius is that it's got, it's got so much unit customizability and the way that the, um, the heroes have all these kind of abilities that augment your units. There's uh, there's so many amazing ways that you can kind of approach each problem that you'll come up against. And I know Gladius can kind of turn into this sort of crazy trench warfare where, you know, you're uh, everybody's reluctant to lose units. So the moment they've hit, hit a certain kind of, you know, they might be only on 20, uh, 20 health or whatever, they'll, they'll cycle them out, return them somewhere where they can heal up and then they replace them. So it's got a real ebb and flow to it that other 4X games don't really seem to have. And you might get that maybe with Civ 5 and 6 a little bit, I guess, with that kind of one one unit per tile thing, but it's not doesn't work quite the same as in Gladius. Like, I, I, I'm sorry, I know I, I, I go on about Gladius a lot, and it's because I've been playing it a lot recently and doing those reviews, but that is a really, it's a really standout way of doing a focused focused exterminate part of the 4x genre yeah i've actually been playing it a little bit recently and finally got into it um but the other interesting thing which we could talk about which gladius also does is um factions and asymmetry between factions in a game um i think this is really important to a 4x game because um it sort of determines how you can sort of predetermine how your game will be played sort of thing, which I think is like, I lo- I think that's probably one of the most redeeming parts of uh, Stellaris and many other games, of course, like Sword of the Stars, Gladius, such, which you, and Endless Legend as well. I'd actually give that props for its um, faction asymmetry. Yeah, I mean, you could go on again and again. <laughs> Seriously, we're going to say this a few times. Actually, we're not going to because we're going to wrap things up, but... You know, if you look back on sort of the stars and the way that, I mean, their ships operated differently, right? Like each of their faction ships operated differently. And if you go into Endless Legend, you know, their combat units operated differently. Like in, in the, the Broken Lords, they were very good at, at melee. And then you'd have, you know, an, an, any of the other ones, the, the Draken, who were, who were a little bit more, actually, they were actually pretty good at upfronts too, or like, uh, they were actually pretty good overall combat faction race. And yeah, asymmetry is something that I think is incredibly important too. I, I would agree. You know, sometimes you have like the Zerg race, and then you you're you're more worried about units and numbers of units, where 
other factions might have less units but much more stronger units and wow you could go with that all day right yeah look, we should definitely do a podcast just on the on asymmetry because i know i know that you, rob you specifically are really into this as a um as a defining factor of a good 4x game right i think this it's starting to become it's starting to become something that i think people are looking for because but balance can be boring and there are certain types of games where balance is, is really important but also, but i think that you know Games that do have faction, serious faction asymmetry, are often the more interesting ones. You know, and different games do it differently. So this is definitely something we should do. A, we should do a more focused, a focused talk about at some point because I think there's a lot in there, and there's loads of different games that approach asymmetry in different ways as well. Absolutely. I mean, like consider just one of the most popular games of all time, a popular strategy games of all time, being StarCraft and StarCraft Two. I mean, those three races are as asymmetric as they get, right? And and you'll have people fighting to the death as to which race is the best and people can be extremely good with the Zerg and then, you know, like awful with the Protoss and, you know, or they can be great with the humans and, you know, great with the Zerg and, you know, fantastic with the Protoss because of the way they do things and the way that their, their entire gameplay revolves around their strengths and their weaknesses. I think it comes down to really um, giving the plan an option of how they like to play because not, Everyone uh, is good at certain things and they're better at other things. So having being able to build a faction or having good factions made, that gives you the options to play maybe a little bit slow if you like to play a little bit slow or if you're a person who likes to rush down and just conquer everyone, give you that thing. It's just giving... It's, it's sort of sandboxy, really. You, for me, I like games that give you the option to play how you like to play within the framework of that game. You made a really good point. I don't know if you know that you just made a fantastic point, but I feel like because we've discussed all these things that we we would use, right, in our Frankenstein 4X to make the best 4X, and I think we can all agree now that that the best 4X is going to be different for everyone, right? So, like, my best 4X is going to be different than Ben's best 4X, and that's going to be different than some random Reddit user's best 4X. And I think the the ticket, like the way in on making one game everyone's best 4X is through faction asymmetry. I really do. Um, I I would love to discuss that further one day. Well, you know, I've been, as we've been doing this, I've been punching all our ideas into the computer and the computer has spat out Sid Meier's starships. <laughs> so it turns out that all... Yes, finally! It turns out that that was the best game all along, man. Damn it. Told you. <laughs> Trex has been right this whole time. He didn't even know. He's never played it, but he's been right. You well, called you know, it, man. You called it. I think this has been a lot of fun, guys. I really do think that there's there's a lot of room to talk about these mechanics in, in much more detail. And, you know, there's a lot of room to to talk. I mean, yeah, even just a, an entire episode dedicated to Asymmetry would be something that we could talk about. And Wow, my head's spinning right now. I really appreciate you guys being here. Thanks, Ben, for joining me in in discussing all this crazy stuff. This Frankenstein 4X with me. Hey, thank you. It's been great. And Drex, thanks again to you as well, my my British brother. I appreciate you you giving your input and and figuring out how the hell we could figure out stars. Sid Meier's Starships was the best game ever. Starships forever. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> That should be your sign off forever from now on. Um, 
But hey, guys, this was a lot of fun. We'll do it again. Thanks to everyone out there who's listening and for everyone who's been supportive of the podcast and who supports us through Patreon and through the forums and through the site and through our Discord. But this was Ben, Drexy, and Rob for Explominate, and we will talk to you guys soon. See you later, guys. Bye. Bye.